Hey, Midtown, Randy here and... Dave Burden. <laughs> we're pastors here at Midtown Fellowship, and guess what's coming up this coming Sunday, Dave? This coming Sunday, we're starting uh, live services, so we're really excited for everybody to be back together uh, for worship. We have a problem, though. All the sign-up is full, so you can't get into September the 6th service, but if you'll go online on September the 8th, you can sign up for the next week. And if you didn't get into one of our live services, guess what else you can do? You can host a home church at your house. Tell them about what home churches are, Dave. Yeah, we're excited about this because we know that everybody can't get into a service even if they wanted to. And so we've been encouraging folks uh, to sign up to host a Midtown Home Church, which can look like gathering some of your friends or family, uh, an appropriately sized group of people, uh, and gathering together on a Sunday morning uh, using uh, the video service and some other materials that we'll provide uh, for you to be the church uh, together in your home and commit to gathering for teaching of the Word and for fellowship and for prayer and just encouragement in a really challenging time. Some people are meeting on their back porch. Some are meeting in their driveway, some in their living room, whatever you feel comfortable with. But those of you that don't feel comfortable with home church or even coming to a live service, we want to continue, encourage you to continue to watch the services at home uh, and continue to worship the Lord. We also have small groups that are coming up, and they're starting soon, so you can go online and sign up to be in a small group. Tell us a little bit about small groups, Dave. I mean, just like uh, we've, we've said for years that uh, you don't go to church, you are the church. A big part of where we've pushed our chips in uh, at Midtown is building intentional communities outside of Sunday morning through small groups. And so uh, these are absolutely vital uh, to our maturity in the gospel and growing uh, in who we are in Christ and who we are as the body of Christ. And so if you're not in a group, uh, we would really encourage you um, to, to really knock on the door of digging up information about how do I get into one of these. If you're in a group and you know people who aren't in groups, the way people get in groups is people get invited. Uh, yep. And so have an eye and a mind for that. So, Well, as you can see, it's really important to us during this unusual season that we don't isolate, but we get plugged in. So we encourage you, jump in, find the place where you can care and be cared for um, and come aboard. Well, good morning, Midtown. This morning, our call to worship will be from Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. Let's enter into worship. Hey, Midtown. Um, good to see you today as you worship. Whatever kind of week you've had, whatever you bring into worship today, God's love has not let you go. It's something to celebrate and be grateful for and to believe that it's true. So let's sing that today. A love that will not let me go.
Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the love that you have lavished upon us through Christ. And thank you that you have freely given us your love. Thank you that we are called your children, that you are our Father, and that you invite us into your love. Lord, help us now through your Holy Spirit. Teach us, open our hearts to know, to understand, to perceive, to see, and to experience the fullness of the love that we have in Christ. We pray. Amen. Hey, Midtown. Uh, really glad that you're here uh, and have been worshiping with us this morning. Um, I just got to say one thing. I hope you are hungry because this is a feast that the Lord has given us. Um, we've been worshiping already in song, um, and now we get to dig into the Word. And the, the passage of Scripture that God's given us is really remarkable. It's, it's just three short verses from the book of Philippians, but it is a feast, and it's a, a, a very deep and rich uh, dessert, really. You know, um, I've never been a big dessert fan. I've never been a big chocolate fan, and my wife has ruined me. Um, you know, there's these kind of desserts. One of her favorites is at Frothy Monkey, and I think it's called Pot de Creme, which, you know, obviously in French is something like Pot of Yumminess. But if you take a tiny little bite of it, um, it doesn't matter whether you take a big bite or a small bite, the, the flavor of it, the depth of it fills your whole mouth. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you have a, like a, a particular kind of cake or something that's so rich and so deep with flavor that whether it's a real little bite or a, or a big bite, your mouth is completely full with the flavor of it. And I think, I think that is very similar to this prayer that we're in this morning. And this is, it's very fitting because it's the last of the prayers um, that we're going to be looking at in this uh, series in the prayers of Paul. This is the last one that I get the privilege of opening for you and reading and, and, and discussing and it really is a rich, rich dessert. Um, and so we're going to kind of go through this, take little bites of it. Um, and, and I think, just like it has for me this week, I really pray and hope that for, for myself and for you, that we continue uh, to really be filled with the depth of, of what this passage is and what this prayer is that Paul's offering us. So I'm going to read this for us. This is, uh, again, in the book of Philippians. And uh, we're in the first chapter, and this is verses 9 to 11. So Paul says this, And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let me, let me just pray for us real quick. Father, um, I, I pray that you would take us deeper and deeper and deeper into your word so that our lives can be marked by drinking deeply of you. I pray that you would just cause us to be so filled by your love that we would pour forth rivers of living water to the people in our lives. That's our prayer. Uh, be with us now as we look at this prayer uh, of Paul that you've given us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's a, there's a base, kind of a base flavor, uh, so to speak, for this prayer. And then there's two flavors that Paul kind of adds on to this base. Um, and then there are three things that he tells us are going to happen if we really sit and feast on this. So this, this prayer kind of has a base, and then he adds some flavors to it that we'll look at. And then there's three things that, that if we really were to sit and feast on it and take it in, then, then these things would happen to us. So that's kind of what we're going to look at. Um, you know, this prayer is actually, it's interesting, it, it comes at the very beginning of the letter, right? Because we're in chapter 1. Paul ends an introduction to the opening uh, of his letter with this prayer. And one thing is very clear, it's that Paul loves this Philippian church. It, it's been as long as I've studied the book of Philippians from the very first time I read it, it's, it's always been one of my favorite books because 
it's so clear how Paul has an affection for this church. And so he's opening his letter describing uh, this affection that he has and letting this beautiful Philippian church know how much he loves them. And then he ends the introduction with the prayer that we just read. But I want to read for you um, a couple verses that come before this. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. He says this to the Philippian church. I thank my God every time I remember you. Always in my prayers for you, I'm always praying with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is constantly thankful for them. Every time he comes to pray for them, he prays with joy, he says. He prays with joy for them as he remembers the way they partnered with him. From the very first moment he met them when he was traveling in his missionary journey to Philippi until the day that he's writing them this letter, he's full of joy and full of love for them. But what's amazing about this is he loves them so much, but, but he, his prayer for them and this statement that I just read shows that he knows God is not done with them. Right? His, his joy for them isn't a, a joy that says, oh, I'm so excited because now you're finished, you've arrived. No, he says, because of the love and the commitment you've shown me, I'm confident that he who began a good work is going to bring it to completion. So he's acknowledging for them that God is not done with them. Church, what a beautiful truth that is, just right off the bat, that God is not done with us. That no matter what we look at in this prayer, that there's just this assumption, this kind of base level assumption from Paul and from uh, the God that, that you know, inspired him to write, that God is still working. That we're, we can be comforted by the good news that God is still working with us. He hasn't given up on us. And so from this place, from this place of saying, of Paul saying, I, I, I want you to grow and I, I want the Lord to continue this good work he started in you, he now prays the prayer that I read for us. So let's take a second and dig into this. I said this is a, this is a deep prayer. This is a rich prayer, and it kind of has a, a base flavor to it. So in verse 9, Paul says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. That your love may abound more and more. So if we just stop right there, we see that this is a prayer for love. Okay, we, we don't miss that. That, that. Paul, right off the bat, prays for the Philippian church that their love would grow of all the things that Paul could pray for, right? Of all the, the persecutions they were enduring, of all the difficulties of life, you know, living at this time in this day and age. He could have prayed for so many different things for their health, uh, that they wouldn't get, you know, caught up and sent into the Colosseum, right? But, but no, he, he prays for their love. He says, I want your love to grow. And we notice that in this, in this prayer for love, Paul doesn't give us an object for the love. He doesn't, he doesn't pray that their love for any particular person or particular thing or even for God would grow. He just says, I pray that your love would abound, that your love would grow more and more. It's like Paul is praying for love as a force unto itself, which is what it is. Paul prays that, that love, this force, this power unto itself would grow in us. And this is hard because, you know, in, in English, we, we kind of know this, that we only use one word to describe love. Like when I'm having that dessert that I was telling you about with my wife, I would use the same word to describe how I feel about the dessert as I would to describe how I feel about her. And it's kind of silly, right? And, and I think a lot of us know that in Greek, um, there, there are multiple words for the word love. They don't, they don't just use one word. And the word that Paul chooses in this passage is the ultimate word for love. It's the root 
word for love. It's, it's the word for love that's like the, the, the main branch of a vine from which all the other loves grow, and it's the word agape. All the other loves are, are kind of tributaries of this one root love, agape. And agape is the original love. Agape is the first love. It's the love that God has and has always had in and of himself, for himself and also for us. And agape was expressed when God created us. That the first time God wielded this force, this power of love on our behalf was when he created us. In fact, scripture even says before he even created us, before he even put us into being, it says God knew us and God loved us. In Genesis 1.26, you know, Jesus, or God says, come, let us make man in our image, which just by the way, our image is already showing there's this collective within God, this Trinitarian unity of love. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all loving each other. So love has been a part of, agape love has been a part of God's existence from the beginning. But then now in Genesis, God says, I want to make man in our image. And so God expressed this love toward us, this agape love in creating us. And then there's no better picture of this agape love that God had for us than when he redeemed us, when he chased us down, when he chased down his lost sheep that had run from him. And he sacrificed himself to win them back. So we see God's agape love in in his creating of us, in his thinking of us, in his deciding to put his affection on us in creation, and also in his continued pursuit of us and not letting us go and bringing us back to himself. In Ephesians 2, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. This new life, this new birth that God has given us is because of the great love with which he loved us. So love is in, of, it is in and of itself a force and a power, and it's this force and this power that Paul is praying for, for this church. And do you see how that's crazy? Because I told you that agape love is, is God's love. But yet Paul isn't praying for God's love. He says, no, my prayer is that your love may abound. And so what that means is that this agape love that God has expressed for us is also now a love that's in us and is our love to express. I want you to think about this kind of like a tree, that when Paul prays that their love would abound and would grow more and more, it's like he's talking about a tree flourishing. I, I want this love that came from God that is now yours and it's in you and it's a force and it's a power. I want it to grow and flourish like a tree. And we know how trees grow, right? Trees grow up. They grow up. And so our, our agape love, as it, as it grows and flourishes, it goes toward God. That means my love for the Lord is going to grow. But also we know that trees grow out, don't they? As they go up, they don't just go straight up. They grow out. They grow fuller. And so it's this picture of my love and the love that that I have because of the Lord in me is is also growing and flourishing and spreading, which means it's not just going up to the Lord, it's going out to other people. So Paul starts off this prayer, the, the base of this prayer, kind of the base flavor of this prayer is that he says, I want your love to grow up and to grow out, to flourish. This agape love that you have now because of God. 
So that's the first level, that's the base. And now on this, I mean, we could stop right there and that'd be amazing, right? This, this powerful love, but Paul doesn't stop there. He, he adds two flavors, okay? It's kind of like when you go to, I don't know if uh, Marble Slab Creamery was one of the ice cream shops that I remember growing up with. And there was always this thing you got to do is you got your base flavor and then they put it on this, you know, cold, I think it was a marble slab, right? And they added flavors in, they kind of chopped it in. And Paul's taking this prayer and he's saying, you know, this love that I, I'm praying for you, I want it to grow, but it's not just generic. I want it to grow in a certain way. I want, I want it to grow with some added flavors. And so now we go kind of one level even deeper in this prayer. And Paul says that I pray your love would grow more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. What does it mean that our love would now have these added flavors of knowledge and insight? Because if you're like me, when I first account, uh, encountered this passage, that was a little confusing to me because, okay, I, I hear love and I think I understand what you're talking about, right? Like my emotions that were kind of in that world, kind of the heart world. But then all of a sudden Paul's saying, I want your love, this emotional thing to have like knowledge added to it. And it doesn't seem to make sense to me. At least it didn't before. And I think this is another case where we kind of have a, a real truncated or a real shallow understanding of some of these words. Because for the Greeks, the word for knowledge didn't just mean stuff that was in your head. Didn't just mean that like I'm, I'm like learning things and now I have more facts in my head. They actually had multiple words for knowledge. And the word for knowledge that Paul is using is an experiential knowledge. It's a knowledge that's naturally and necessarily gained as you go on a journey of pursuing something. It's the kind of knowledge, it's, it's like the knowledge you gain when you've come back from a long trip or a long journey. You go, you study abroad or you go travel and you experience things and you come back and all of a sudden you're aware that you now know something. You've grown and gained knowledge through the process and through the experience that you now have. It's knowledge that's gained by and through the process of pursuing something itself. And so when Paul is saying, I want, I want you to add knowledge to your love, I want your love to be growing in knowledge, what he means is I want your love to grow in knowledge as you pursue the one you're loving. As you pursue God first, right? as, as, as you pursue channeling this agape love that he's given you toward the Lord, it's a journey of knowing him and a journey of understanding him. Because we all know this, part of being in love is a hunger, right? A hunger to know more and more, to delve into the depths of the one that you love and to figure them out, to understand them in all of their loveliness. It's a journey. And Paul says this journey of love involves gaining knowledge of the one you love, gaining depth of understanding of the one that you love. In fact, we would say without that, it would be really shallow, right? If it's just a feeling, if it doesn't have a pursuit and a deepening of understanding and a, and a knowing relationally, then we would say it's not, it's not love. So Paul prays that their love would grow in knowledge, and he also prays that their love would grow in depth of insight. So not only is their love a pursuing love, a seeking love, and an understanding love, which is what we get from knowledge, their love is also a practical love. It's a, it's a situational love. It, it's, it's a wise love. This word here for depth of insight is the only time it's used in the whole New Testament. However, it's used a whole bunch in the book of Proverbs. In the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, this word is used a ton because what Proverbs is talking about is how do I now apply this faith, this faith that it calls fear of God, how do I apply it practically? 
So Paul's saying, you know what? This love isn't just a love to sit on the shelf. It's not just a love to feel in your heart. It's a love to go out and practice, right? Again, on that journey of pursuing someone, I'm practicing how do I love them well? How do I love them rightly? How do I love them situationally? And so in English, we get this word insight, right? Which is such an interesting word, insight, right? I see into you. I see something in that maybe is hidden unless I look. I pursue you with love so that, so that I, I understand what's down in you. And then in that understanding, in that now knowledge, I love you more. It doesn't just know, but it sees into the thing that it loves. It sees into the deep places. So it's a seeing love. Another word that uh, I think really works well here, and we don't use it that often, is the word tact, right? Are you tactful, right? If someone's a tactful person, you kind of get the sense that they sort of know what to do in every situation. They have wisdom and discernment to read a situation, to read a person, to understand what's going on, and then to make the right choice. All of that, this richness and depth, is what Paul is adding into this understanding of love that he prays for the Philippian church, that their love would abound, their love would grow in knowledge and depth of insight. So Paul, after he's kind of explained now, uh, deeper understanding of love than I think I ever would have understood, he now tells them some things, or three things specifically, that he says are going to happen if you, if you really feast on this. If you really come into this love and, and take it in and feast on it and savor it spoonful by spoonful, some things are going to happen. In verse 10, he says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. To discern what is best. Hallelujah, guys, come on. Paul is praying that we would actually be able to know what's best. How often do you wonder that? Is it just me? I'm always wanting to know what, man, in this situation, like what's the best thing to do? What's the right way to move forward? What's the right decision to make? And Paul says, part of this growing in love is that I would be able to discern what is best and then be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That, that, that would be number two, I guess. The pure and blameless for the day of Christ is talking about a readiness, right? The day of Christ is a, is a day that's coming. Paul understood that. He, he talked a lot, about, a lot more about that than we do, that there is a day that we are to be prepared for when Christ is going to come back. And he says, you know what? If you grow in this love, if you grow in this knowledgeable and discerning and insightful love, you will be ready. You'll be pure. You'll be holy. You'll be blameless without fault for the day of Christ. You're prepared. And then finally, the third thing he says is going to happen is in verse 11. You'll be someone that's filled with the fruit of righteousness. Again, going back to that tree, if my love is like a tree that's growing and, and now it's growing upward toward the Lord and knowledge of him and understanding of him and it's growing outward toward other people and knowledge of them and understanding of them, it's not just a green tree, it's a, it's a tree filled with fruit. There's a, there's a peach tree that um, is growing outside a, a, an elementary school close to me and you know, for a while, a couple, about a month ago, I'd come by and I'd pick peaches because it was just... It was just full of peaches. Well, I came by one day and every single one of the lower branches had ripped off and fallen to the ground because it was so full of peaches. It was so full of fruit. That this tree is so full of fruit. It's so fruity. It's, it's so not lacking in fruit that its very branches broke off and fell to the ground. And what an amazing picture of what the life of love 
the life of abounding in the kind of love that Paul is praying for us about, what that looks like. What, what an amazing picture that, that I am so full of fruit that the, my branches are breaking and the fruit is falling to the ground and it's kind of tumbling along the ground for people to come and pick up. It's, it's incredible. And that is just one of the things that Paul says happens when we are abounding and flourishing and growing in the agape love of God. So I want to I wanna finish and say a few things, I, I guess, in, in, to help us understand how to apply some of this. And I'm, I'm laughing a little bit because one of the things that the Lord has just really challenged me with is I think there's a reason why Paul prays this and tells the Philippians that he's praying this for them instead of just giving them advice, advice on how to do it. I hope that makes sense, that, that Paul is, he's telling them, hey, I want you to know what I'm praying for you for instead of telling you what I think you should do. And I think there's a really important insight to see there, and, and, and this is kind of my first point of application, is the thing that Paul is praying for is only a thing you can pray for. Another way I could say that is, is what Paul is praying for for them, that this abounding, God-given agape love of God, it's only a thing that God can give you. It's only a thing that comes from the working of that love through the power of God, who is the giver of that love inside of you. So the first thing we have to do is we have to do exactly what Paul does, and we've got to pray for this kind of love. That I need to be somebody who part of my daily rhythm Every day should be a prayer that sounds something like this. Jesus, make my love abound and grow more and more. Make it grow in relationship with you upward. Make it grow in depth of insight, in knowledge, in discernment for you and how to follow you. And also make it grow out. Make it grow in knowledge and care and pursuit of the people in my life and discerning how to love them well. We have to pray for that. We have to ask the Lord to do that because Paul is praying for a spiritual power for them. He's not praying for a physical power for them. He's praying for a supernatural power to be unleashed in their life. And there is no spiritual power that you and I can gain in and of ourselves. This isn't a trick to learn. This isn't a thing to practice only. It's a thing to practice after we've prayed and believed that this is something that God has given us. How much more must I depend on the author of my whole life to teach me to love in this way, to teach me to love in the way that he has written? And so we have to, be, we have to seek to be led by the Spirit. We have to cultivate a, a spiritual life with the Lord and deepen our relationship with God. And so then once we've prayed, the, the thing to do after this is to practice it. And that might sound obvious, but, but I want to say right now that I think this might be one of the scariest things in the Christian life. And scary in two ways. Number one, scary that there is a God who pursues you and seeks to know you and understand you this deeply. It means there is no part of your life that he doesn't want. It means there is no nook or cranny of your heart that he is not seeking out and has already sought out. He knows you. He sees you. And now what he's calling you to do is to be the kind of person who goes on that journey of loving 
in that kind of a pursuing way, in that kind of a seeking, in that kind of a knowledge-building journey kind of way. And both of those things are scary. It's scary that the Lord would be pursuing me that deeply. It's also scary that he's calling me to do that for others. And he's calling other people to do that for me, that there are going to be people in my life that if they are on fire for this kind of love, they're coming after me. And they're coming after you. And so we got to get out and practice this love. And yes, we got to make a mess of it. There's no way that loving in this way is not going to be messy. Because guess what happens when you start to discern people and know people? You discern and know their mess. You dig up things that they don't want you to know. And they do the same thing for you. So literally what Paul is praying is he is praying that they would go on the kind of journey of being the kind of people and relating in the kind of way that just makes a mess of everything. So that healing can happen, so that the Lord's love can, can seep in and heal and grow. And so we practice this by getting in real Christian community. It's got to be real. It's got to be authentic. It's got to be for the sake of growing. And it's got to be Christian. It doesn't mean you don't have relationships where you're pursuing non-believers, but it means that this kind of love is only going to happen within the, the, the realm of the church. And I mean the church as in the, the body of Christ, the family of believers. That when I, when, when I know that you have this agape love of God for you, and you know that I have this agape love for me, that we're both pursuing that together. So my wife and I uh, were on just a little trip recently. And the reason I tell you we're on a trip is because we don't watch movies very often. We don't have time to watch movies very often. But one of the things we did in our trip is we, we watched a couple movies, and <laughs> we watched this movie. It's literally like when you're, you know, you're at a, an Airbnb and you're flipping through, well, what, what movies you know, do they have here? It's the movie Crazy Stupid Love. And I am not going to recommend this movie at all. In some ways, it is an awful, horrible, terrible movie. It was really funny and it was really entertaining, but it had something to say, I think, in counter or in... in uh, It'll, it'll help what I'm talking about make sense in opposite. And it's this. I think the reason why they call this movie Crazy Stupid Love is because they want you to say, look how crazy it is how all these people ended up together. And look how stupid they're all acting because of love when they get together. And it's kind of this, like, I guess, sort of like a praise of like, well, when you really like pursue your, you know, your soulmate, then you're crazy and everyone else is crazy and you're stupid and everyone else is stupid and haha, it's so funny. But you know what's really crazy, and, and what would probably uh, the writers of the show would think is really stupid, is that what Paul is praying for for us, the kind of love he's praying for, is very different than that. Because Paul is praying not for a love for us that just sort of happens, that you stumble into, right? We kind of say, like, love is blind or love is dumb, this kind of sentimental understanding of love. No, Paul is praying and what's crazy about what he's praying is that this kind of love is personal and the person behind it is God. That God personally loves you. He's personally pursuing you. God's love is not content just to let things happen, but it's a love that's going to pursue and is going to change. And I think that can be really scary. I think it can be really scary to know that that's happening from God to you and is supposed to happen from you to other people. Because to, to be known like that, to be sought and pursued like that, is something that I think is very unnatural to our flesh. That's very unnatural to the part of us that isn't, uh, you know, is, is not being filled and, and, and worked on by the Holy Spirit. And so I want to end reminding us of something that's true. 
I want to I go on a journey, you and I right now, in growing a little bit in our knowledge of the Lord. And so I want us to read Psalm 139. And as I read this, I want you to, to ask yourself, ask the Lord to show you, Lord, what is it about you? What knowledge and depth of insight do I need to grow right now that I don't know or that I've forgotten that will help me grow in this abounding love? So Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's so high I cannot attain it. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way of a God I love. Let's pray. Father, we um, are so thankful that we have someone praying this for us. That we have Paul who prayed for believers that they would be overflowing with the abounding love of God. And we have a Savior, Jesus, who purchased that for us and is now sitting at the right hand of God praying for this for us. And God, my prayer right now, my prayer for our people, for our community, is that we would be people that say, yes, Lord, I will go on this journey of growing in my love, my love for you, my love for others, and that we would be a community that is marked, that, is, that ha- has its mark set on it, that we are a community of love, that we are a people pursuing deep, knowledgeable, insightful relationship love. Help us to do that, Lord. We need supernatural power and protection to do that. And in this time uh, when I think love is more needed than it has ever been, um, would we be those that stand up um, and say, I I will love, I will choose to heal um, and change, make change in my life and in this world through the way that I love? Because that is what I'm offered as a believer, the power to do that. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this word. Thanks for the chance to study it together. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Midtown, let's sing together as we celebrate the love that the Father has for us, that he displayed for us on the cross when he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on our behalf. Well, let's sing together. How great is the love of the Father for us. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many.
only sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer But this I know with all my heart His wounds have paid my ransom Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, His wounds have paid my ransom. Matan, let's read the scripture together. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It's like Kevin read, it's not because we loved God first, it's because he loved us, he chose us were his and he decided that so let's declare that right now if my heart is overwhelmed and i cannot hear your voice i hold on to what is true though i cannot see if the storms of life they come and the road ahead gets steep i will lift these hands in faith I will believe I'll remind myself of all that you've done And the life I have because of your son Love came down and rescued me Love came down and set me free I am yours I am forever yours and mountain high about 
When my heart is filled with hope And every promise comes my way When I feel your hands of grace Rest upon me Staying desperate for you, God Staying humbled at your feet I will lift these hands in praise I will believe I'll remind myself of all that you've done And the life I have because of your son Love came down and rescued me Midtown, uh, love indeed has come down and rescued us. Uh, it has set us free, uh, and we now belong, both body and soul, uh, to our precious Savior, Jesus. And so we leave this worship service, wherever you are, we leave this worship service not as those that need to get love or find love, but as those who are loved. And from that place, uh, we become radical lovers of neighbor and of our families and of our city. And so hear now this benediction, receive now this promised benediction, this good final word of the worship service as you go. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, 
which binds them all together in perfect unity. Go in peace, Midtown.